But let's, let's do this today. I, I realize the time, and so we're going to keep the kids in. I always look to my wife, make sure I don't get in trouble. But uh, let's keep the kids in. I'll be very short. I, I know preachers say that, but let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning, and you say, well, you're going to cut back on preaching. Listen, I think the Lord was pleased this morning when we worship him. And I come to church not just to hear preaching, but to to uh, worship the Lord and to glorify his name, and we ought to do that. And so, uh, as you know, we have a lot of services here, a lot of times for preaching and teaching. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning, I was going to start, I told you last week, a series in Romans chapter 8, but I decided to, I'm going to do that, but I decided I want to get a picture of the whole chapter and lay out all my messages so I kind of have my direction before I jump in on the first message and want to kind of tether them all together. And so we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning, and it's just something I was reading this week, and it, it, one verse in particular struck me, and so we'll get there quickly, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, all right, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I hope it's been a blessing for you to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's encouraged my heart, and it's been a help to me to hear, uh, boy, I, I like that song, so simple, He Knows My Name. He named the stars one by one, but he still knows my name. Isn't that incredible? An incredible thought. And, and praise the Lord that he's in the middle of my storm. And I think Travis wrote that song. And Travis has sang here and uh, sang both those songs here. But Travis wrote the first one, in The Middle of My Storm. And so him and his dad, Brother Mike. And so we appreciate uh, Annie singing for us this morning. And so um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's look, if you will, in verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. But I determined this with myself. The Apostle Paul is writing and he's saying, I've, I've made a personal commitment to something. I've determined something in my heart that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he that maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me. And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you, all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise he ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Let's stop right there and make our prayer. Father, help us, Lord, to understand the word of God today. Speak to our hearts, Lord, as we look at this idea of forgiving one another. We pray that you'd help us to understand the spirit of, of the scriptures and the spirit of the apostle Paul, but especially may we be taught by the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, speak to us, we pray. Lord, and I pray that you'd fill me. I surrender to you. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I want to quickly give you some context to what this passage is about. I, I struggled understanding it, to be honest with you. There's a lot of words there that were confusing to me in the way it was phrased, and I really had to take some time and study it out. But I want you to notice the context, first of all. The, the church at Corinth was a carnal church. If I were to quiz even the children and say, which was the carnal church in the Bible, probably we would say, well... Corinth was, or maybe Laodicea, or maybe one of the churches of Revelation, but Corinth always pops into our minds right away as a carnal church. And the Apostle Paul spent a lot of time writing a letter to them that we call 1 Corinthians, and he spoke of some different things. Number one, he, he spoke of some of the divisions in the church. You'll remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12, he said, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of a Paul, and I am of Apollos, and of Cephas, and of Christ. And they were all kind of separating into factions, if you will. Some preferred the preaching of Apollos and others said, I like the preaching of Paul and, or the ministry of Cephas, but others would, were more pious and they would say, no, no, I only follow Christ. But Paul wasn't falling for their piety. He understood they were just saying it out of, out of spite to the others. But there was a, divide, a division among the people. We also know about the church of Corinth as Paul spoke about the discipline in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he said this, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. So he said there's sin in the church, and it needs to be disciplined, it needs to be taken out from among you. And that's kind of the context we get for chapter two, uh, uh, for 2 Corinthians chapter 2, is that there was sin in the church and there was discipline taking place in the church, and now Paul has to come back and say, wait a minute, you've exercised law, but you've forgotten grace. And we'll see that when we get to the passage this morning. So Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians, and he writes to them first about their divisions. He writes to them about uh, the discipline in their church, but then he also speaks about the doctrines of the church. 1 Corinthians is full of doctrine. We read about Christian liberty. We read about stewardship in 1 Corinthians 4. We read about the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians 11. We read about spiritual gifts in chapters 12 and 13. We read about the excellence of love in chapter 13. We read about Christ's second coming in chapter 15. And so there's a lot of doctrine of the church that we learn in the book of 1 Corinthians. But I want you to know as Paul writes 2 Corinthians, he is writing specifically about how harshly he dealt with the church. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, though I made you sorry with a letter, I'm really not sorry about it at all. He had to say some harsh things and some hard things that were difficult to be heard and, and the church had taken it to heart and some of those people in the church had grabbed hold of what Paul had said and they disciplined, I believe, this man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. They would put him out of the church and perhaps other offenders and now they had swung the pendulum all the way from showing too much grace to showing only law. They had gone from saying, where it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, you should have mourned, but rather you're puffed up. You're proud of the fact that this sin is going on in the sense that you are showing grace and love and mercy and compassion to this, this man who is in obvious and outward sin and he's hurting the work of God. You should be mourning and putting the sin out of the church because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. 
Well, now they'd gone to the other extreme. The pendulum had swung all the way the other way, and they were priding themselves in law. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, now it's time to forgive. There's been some obvious repentance take place in this person's life. The scripture doesn't share that, but we know from other passages that Paul has written to us that, that we are to restore such a one and we are to see people come to a place of repentance. We know from Matthew chapter 18, the whole idea of taking it to the church and disciplining them through the local church is that that soul might be saved. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5 talks about that very thing. We should turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that he might be saved. But they'd gone all the way to law without grace, to judgment without love. And Paul comes to them in 2 Corinthians chapter two and he says, listen, it's time to forgive. It's time to forgive. I want you to notice some things we see quickly this morning about this forgiveness we see in 2 Corinthians chapter two. And you say, why should I forgive somebody that's wronged me? Why should I forgive somebody who's hurt me? We often look at somebody and we write them off and think, well, they'll never get right with God, but what if they do? What if somebody comes in repentance? What if somebody's heart is broken over their sin? Doesn't the Bible say, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness? Considering thyself, lest thy also be tempted. What if somebody with a broken heart and a broken spirit says, please forgive me, are you willing to forgive? The Apostle Paul gives us some reasons why we should, and the first one is this, we need to consider the future. We need to consider the future. Notice what he says in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But I determined this with myself that I should not come again to you in heaviness. What is he saying there? He's saying, I, I don't, listen, I don't believe he's saying I will never rebuke you again. I don't believe that's what he's saying. He's saying, but when I write 2 Corinthians, when I write this second letter, I've determined this time or again, when I come to you again, I'm not going to come to you heavy this time. This time, I want to see some restoration. This time, I'm going to extend compassion. This time, I want to teach you something about love and forgiveness. And so he says, this time, when I come to you again, I'm not going to come in heaviness. And verse 2, for if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me? With a question mark. Paul's saying, if all I ever do is make my brothers and sisters in Christ angry with me, who's going to ever come for me when I need it? He's saying, with an eye to the future, we need to learn how to forgive one another. Because one day, you'll need forgiveness. Sometimes we don't even realize that we say something. Went through a situation in our church where a young man all of a sudden just didn't show up. He'd been faithful to the church. When I say young man, I, I, he was around 40 years old. He wasn't a kid. How, how many of you realize 40's young now? <laughs> I hate to say that. This young man all of a sudden just stopped coming. He had keys to the church. He would lock up after every service. 
He would make sure the lights were out. He would make sure that nobody was in the basement because sometimes we get people sneaking in during the services. He was faithful to visitation. He was faithful to prayer meeting. He'd cover prayer meeting for me if I needed somebody to preach for me. He was faithful. I'd call and not get an answer, leave a message. I'd go knock on his door and he wouldn't answer the door. And this went on for two and three months. And finally one day I heard a knock on my office door and there he was. And he told me what happened. There was another man in the church that just in jest said something to him. Didn't mean a thing by it. And he hurt him. I said, you need to go to him and talk to him. And he did. That older gentleman came to me and said, I had no idea I'd hurt him, Pastor. So I was just joking around. I had no idea. I, I begged him for forgiveness. That younger man has since gone home to be with the Lord. So has the older gentleman. But when they both died, they died friends. Relationship had been restored because one was willing to forgive another. Paul is saying, listen, you need to learn how to forgive because there's one day you'll need forgiveness. There's one day I'm going to need to be cheered and there's one day I'm going to be made to, make, to be made glad and how am I going to find a friend to make me glad if all I've ever done is made you sorry? If all I ever do is beat you down? If all I ever do is complain about your problems? He says, so I want to learn to forgive you and I forgive you now so that I can be forgiven one day. We need to have an eye to the future. Consider, I want you to notice, uh, first of all, it's a complementary relationship. It's reciprocal. Paul says, I need to get along with you so that you get along with me. Christians ought to be able to get along. We ought to love one another, care for one another, and pray for one another, exhort one another, encourage one another, and, and forgive one another when necessary. It's a complementary relationship. But we see number, uh, in verse 3, it's also a corrected relationship. And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to receive. Paul says, I'm writing this letter for a purpose, so when I get there, things are already made right. He says, I don't want to get there and have a whole bunch of sorrow. I, don't want, I want to come and enjoy fellowship, and I want to meet those that I've led to the Lord, and I want to preach a little bit, and I want to love on people. I don't want to show up, and there's all this tension. You know what tension is? You know what it is, right? When you walk in a room and you're not sure what's wrong, but there's just something wrong. And you just feel that weight upon your shoulders. Paul said, I don't want that. He says, so I'm writing this letter with, with this in my mind. I want to get some things straightened out so that when I show up, boy, we can have a time of joy together. We can rejoice together. He says, I want to make sure it's a corrected relationship. Verse 3, if I can read the rest. He says, I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow for them to whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. He says, let's turn this sorrow into joy. Let's stop mourning about the past, and let's forgive one another and move forward. It's a complementary relationship. It's a corrected relationship. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberst that thy brother hath awed against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. When our relationships are not correct, God is not honored. Leave your gift, reconcile to your brother, and then come and worship. 
I want you to see number three, as we consider our future, it was also a candid relationship. Notice verse four. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. Paul's just opening up his heart, isn't he? He said, I need you to know something, why I wrote that letter. He says, it wasn't easy for me, it was out of much affliction. He said, there was a lot of tears shed as I wrote that letter. I didn't like having to rebuke you, and I didn't like to have to come down on this church. There's so many there that I'd led to the Lord, and so many that were living for Christ. I, I hated the idea that I had to come in and say a few things. And he says, so I'm just going to open up my heart to you, and I'm going I'm to be candid with you. I think there's a good example there for us today that if we're going to get right with one another, if we're going to learn how to forgive one another, we have to have open and honest relationships. We have to be candid. So often we hide things and how, how, do, how can we ever bear one another's burdens? Now I, I understand sometimes, I, I remember times where somebody will put up their hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I have an ingrown toenail. I, I mean, come on, right? But there are other people that say, have a heart attack and you never hear about it. Suffering with some disease and we never know. Oh, if we're gonna, if we're gonna trust one another and love one another, we need to have a candid relationship that we might bear one another's burdens. You say, well, I, I like privacy and I, and I can respect that. But that's not the will of God for us. We are to love one another and to bear one another's burdens. It was a candid relationship he had with the church. So as we consider forgiveness today, I want you to first of all consider the future of the saints. Number two, I want you to consider this, the freedom of the sinner. The freedom of the sinner. Notice what he says in verse five. He says, but if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. That's one of those phrases I had a hard time understanding. But if any man, read it again, but if any man or if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Amen. Here's what he's saying. Can I summarize it for you? Can I give you the Alfieri version? He says, if there's been any grief, I want you to know he's only grieved me in part. And Paul is saying this by this overcharging. I had to look that word up and try to understand it. He says, I do not believe I'm overstating this when I say it. He's grieved all of us. That's what he means by overcharge you all. I want you to know he hasn't just hurt me. That's only been a little. He's hurt the entire church. This one who has sinned. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? I remember over the years some grievous things happening at Bethel Baptist Church that have hurt the body, have shaken the body to its core. I can remember. And Paul says that's what is happening here. But I want you to notice, as we consider verse 5, I want you to notice the pain. It inflicts a lot of pain on the church body, doesn't it? It breaks our hearts. 
I remember years ago laying a, a dear saint in our church to rest, Madeline Patterson, and on the day of her funeral, one of the men who had been serving as a deacon in our church and had been not a deacon for about a year and a half, but in the past had served as a deacon and wor- drove our Sunday school bus and worked in the ministry, came and handed me a letter and he says, don't read this till after the funeral. How many of you know I read it before the funeral? You can't, you can't get a card like that or a letter like that and, and they, it, just, it just eats away at you. I put it in my pocket for about three minutes and I went to a private spot in the church building and I read it. The man had had an affair on his wife, was divorcing her and leaving the church. Can I tell you that shook our entire church? That broke the hearts of every person in that room. And we didn't get up and publicly flaunt it. We didn't get up and say, well, here's the sin of this fellow. We didn't do that. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. When you touch one part of the body, it hurts the whole. You ever stub your toe in the middle of the night? You feel that right in your earlobes, don't you? I mean, it it aches all through. That's what the body, the church is. It's a body. I want you to notice the pain, but I want you to know, notice secondly in verse six, this is important, the punishment. Do you know what we do when somebody hurts us? We think about us. Isn't that true? Yes. We go home and we mourn, and sometimes it's a heartbreak. We don't understand and, and so we weep and we, we, we mourn and we grieve and we're hurt by it. Let me ask you this. Do you ever consider the offender and the pain that they're feeling? I said, well, you're just a bleeding heart liberal. Look what the Bible says. Look what it says in the very next verse, verse six. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. I have to read between the lines and make an assumption here, and I don't like to do that with Scripture, but I think it bears it out very plainly. I believe this man was repentive. I believe that. I believe he was brokenhearted over his sin. You say, why? Because the Bible says, sufficient is his punishment. The whole church has put him out. And people are upset and they're hurt by it. And look what it says in verse 6. Read it again. You cannot miss this. It's so important. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment. He suffered enough, which was inflicted by many. Do you see what happened? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, they're saying, well, we just love everybody. We love, it doesn't matter what he is doing. It doesn't matter that he's left, left his wife and he's with his father's wife. It doesn't matter that they're in this illicit affair. And We just love, love, love. Paul says, no, 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 you should be grieving and mourning the sin and turning him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But when the destruction of the flesh came and the man repented and he wanted to get right, the church says, we're just going to keep inflicting it upon you. We're going to keep beating you down. Paul says, no, no, he suffered enough. The weight of his sin is more than he can bear. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. Notice the punishment. 
I want you to look, if you will, in Psalm chapter 51. We get a glimpse of what this man might have been feeling. In Psalm chapter 51, David hath sinned with Bathsheba. Nathan the prophet has come to him and told him his child would die. And here's what David says. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Hey, by the way, thank God when the Holy Spirit pricks your heart. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And he's drawing you back. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. Or sorry, verse four. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clean when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. I think that might be how this man is feeling. He's mourning and grieving his sin and yet everyone in the church is still making him relive it. Paul says it's time to forgive. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted to many. Look at verse seven. So that contrary wise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. I want you to notice the pain and notice the punishment, but notice the practical truths. When we learn how to forgive somebody, number one, it comforts. You ought to forgive and to comfort. You ought to forgive and to comfort. Verse 8, it confirms love. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. Do you know when you are able to forgive somebody, it shows the love of Christ? My wife was having the kids recite some scripture verses this morning. The one that came up was Ephesians 4.32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Listen to the rest though. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. God forgave us because of what Jesus did. It comforts, it confirms his love, and it is Christ-like. Verse 9, For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you whether you be obedient in all things. Are you following Christ? Are you obedient in all things? To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgive it, for your sake, uh, for, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of of Christ. That's almost like Ephesians 4.32. God says, I'll forgive you for Christ's sake. Paul says, I'll forgive you for Christ's sake. I'll forgive you because of what Christ has done. 
He shed his blood. He is your judge. If he can show mercy, I can show mercy. I will forgive you because it's Christ-like. Notice the practical truths. We ought to forgive because we need to consider the future of the saint and the freedom of the sinner. But I want you to notice one more thing, and this is, this is just one verse. I want you to consider the foiling of Satan. Look at verse 11. I left this one out. This is the verse that caught my attention this week. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. That bothered me. Because I read that passage fairly quickly. I was just reading through, and I, as I read through that passage of Scripture, I just started 2 Corinthians, I read verse 1, chapter 1, then I read chapter 2, and I just read it like I was reading a book. But then verse 11 grabbed me, and it said, lest, lest, and I went, uh-oh, something's there. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, and I went, oh, I better go back and read this. Paul's saying, you need to Forgive. Because in a state of unforgiveness, Satan has a plan. This man had already been turned over, I believe, to the devil for the destruction of the flesh. The Bible says Satan's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You ever watch those, those shows where they got a lion chasing down an elk or something? Or whatever the, you know, a wildebeest or whatever it is over there in Africa? <laughs> Do you know what the lion does? It picks off the weakest one in the herd. Do you know what the body of Christ is supposed to do for you? Offer protection. And when you turn one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, he is outside the body. He is outside the church for a time. And Satan will make a buffet out of him. Or as it says in Job, buffet him. That's what happens. And so he's saying, Paul's saying, you need, to, you need to forgive him. Why? To foil the plans of Satan. He knows our weakness. Hey, one day you'll need forgiveness. And when that forgiveness comes and you're restored to fellowship with the saints and people are loving on you and praying, boy, Satan just hates that. It would be his desire today. Well, is there... 230 in here, that all 230 of us would go in our different directions and be on our own and not united in spirit and just say, I'm just going to live for myself this week and I'm going to stand on my own and I'm going to do whatever I please and I'm not going to be accountable to this body. That, that would just make Satan tickled. Because Paul says, we know his devices to divide and conquer like a roaring lion picking off the weakest of the herd. But when we restore fellowship one with another through forgiveness, we foil his plans. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Read that verse with me again, verse 11. Our time is gone. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let me ask you this in closing. How many of you have battled Satan? You don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. I'm not looking. We've all battled Satan, haven't we? How many of you have battled him this past week? The next time you go to battle with him, how many of you want to go with him having the advantage? No way. 
No way. That's why we need to be prayed up. We were encouraged this morning, weren't we? Exhorted, read your Bibles and pray and make sure you're right with God. But you know one of those things is you have to be right with the brethren. The Bible plainly says if you don't love the brethren, you don't love God. Will you forgive? I don't want Satan having an advantage over me because I do know his devices. And he'll get the victory if I'm weak. I'm so thankful that God is strong. Let's pray. Father, help us to have the spirit of Christ. Lord, we need to learn how to balance law and grace. We need to learn how to balance truth and grace. Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts today. And maybe, Lord, there's a practical application in this room that I know not of. Maybe somebody needs to forgive another. Lord, we're not saying we don't discipline when there's sin. We are not saying that we do not go lightly on sin. That would be all grace. But Lord, when things are being dealt with and God is moving in a heart and somebody is seeking restoration, may we be the kind of people willing to forgive. Help us, Lord, to have the spirit of Christ today. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let me say this. If you have all truth and no grace, you become legalist. If you have all law and no grace, you become legalist. If you have all grace and no law or truth, you become licentious. That's with unbridled passions. But if you have a balance of truth and grace or law and grace, you have liberty. Liberty in Christ Jesus as he attended. Maybe today you need to forgive somebody. Maybe you need forgiveness. I hope and pray that we're always a church that when somebody repents, that we're willing to forgive, to show compassion and love.